I even made a new friend. I have a friend. <laughs> and the absurd thing is she's actually an operating system. Charles left her behind, but she's, she's, she's totally amazing. You know, she's so smart. She doesn't just see things in, in black or white. She sees this whole gray area and she's helping me explore it. And And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and I'm super excited for this episode. Uh, it's going to be a good one. We are going to be discussing the pretty, I think, pretty good, pretty good and uh, deep film. Her, by writer-director Spike Jones, starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix in another uh, well-acted role. Uh, additional folks we see in this film include Amy Adams, Olivia Wilde, and then we hear the voice of Scarlett Johansson. It's essentially a character driven with a a loose plot character driven movie with a loose plot um if you're not familiar with the film i'm gonna go ahead and play a new sound effect that i just made for this it's called the spoiler alert spoilers 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 ahead you've been warned so Joaquin Phoenix plays Theodore, who is about a year out from a marriage. Uh, separation. So he's been separated from his wife for a year and uh, is in the process of considering divorce. And uh, he decides to purchase an OS. And this OS is supposed to be a state-of-the-art revolutionary idea where uh, it's a learning OS and can be your companion. And that's where Scarlett Johansson comes in as his OS. And she is the titular character, so to speak. Right now, this movie came out in 2013 and AI has progressed a lot since then. Uh, Most of what we're familiar with are things like Siri and and Google Assistant and all of that or or Alexa, of course. But uh, we explore this movie in in a more traditional way. We, We actually talk about it with relationship in mind between two humans it's uh it's a good romp now before we get into the film i just want to share with you all some exciting new additions to the cinema psych media conglomerate uh so i i finally added tiers to our to our patreon and if you have the ability to contribute uh, to the podcast, 
Uh, we have some great tiers. Uh, we have a $1 tier, a $2 tier, and then uh, I believe uh, like a $10 tier. And in those tiers, you get access to additional things that um, I've got cooking in the background. Uh, and so if you have the ability to contribute, uh, being a, become please become a patron of the Cinema Psych podcast. That's patreon.com slash cinema psych pod. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is uh, I just made a new merch store. It's sort of an apparel store. It's not really a merch store, but a store nevertheless where you can pick up the logo, the Cinema Psych logo that I've basically plastered everywhere on shirts, sweatshirts, uh, ball caps, a tote bag that I see through Spreadshirt. And so the Cinema Psych shop is through Spreadshirt. It's a link available right on our website. Um, you just click store and it'll take you right to it. And um, I get the, the podcast gets a uh, minor, minor kickback from those purchases. And I think they're fairly well priced pieces of merchandise. Um, I bought a couple of pairs of shirts uh, for um, 15% off, which is an introductory special, but I might extend that because the the introductory special actually ended a day before the um, the podcast episode. And I kind of want to have the podcast episode being an additional venue vector for the merch shop. So if you're looking for a high quality image, by the way, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a primo image put on the. And I've read that um, Spreadshirt uses a great um, printing process to make sure the the logos and, and, and screen prints last on these. So if you have the opportunity and you want to wear some swag and promote the podcast, please do. That The website is shop.spreadshirt.com slash cinemasych-podcast-store. Now, that's a long one. <laughs> that's a long one. Uh, but again, you can go to cinemasychpod.swanpsych.com and click on store. It'll take you right to it. And you can um, purchase directly from there. You can purchase directly from there. So again, we have the Patreon up. We have the merch store. You can also contribute directly to the podcast through PayPal. That link is available on our website as well on the sidebar. And uh, so any 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 uh, contribution to the podcast would be great, to, you know, to make sure we can keep the lights gone, keep the lights on of the uh, on the podcast. Whatever you can do. And even if you can't contribute um, any dollars or cents to the podcast the liking and the subscribing are uh fantastic ways to show your support i just noticed the other day that there are ratings of the podcast on itunes so i appreciate to appreciate anyone who has been uh rating us on itunes or the apple podcasts or whatever it's called these days 
Uh, I really appreciate it. So that's a fantastic way to show your support. And I, I definitely appreciate it. My guest host today is yet another grad school friend, Dr. Jeff Bowen. Jeff is a teaching faculty member in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Johns Hopkins University. He teaches undergraduate and graduate classes on research methods and statistics, as well as a new class on psychology and social media. He also supervises an undergraduate social psychology research lab specializing in adult romantic relationships. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. I'm really thrilled to be here. I feel like I should put on my radio caller voice and say, like, long time listener, first time guest or something. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to have you on. And um, I can make that change in your voice if you really, really want to. Uh, before we jump into discussing the film, and, uh, and because this is what I do for all of my guest hosts, um, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on film and why you uh, use film in your teaching. Yeah, I mean, so at least for the film we're going to be talking about today, uh, I definitely feel like whether um, whether you're using it uh, for psychology or just to stimulate, you know, other intellectual conversations, that there are so many different aspects that you can latch on to. Uh, and uh, for the film that we're talking about today, it's set in the future by all accounts, but a lot of the themes and messages uh, that you can extract from it and all the ways in which those are relevant to psychology. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not necessarily tied to that sci-fi premise, so I like the flexibility there. Uh, I haven't used a great deal of film in my own teaching. Uh, some classes I taught uh, while a graduate student, we would touch on some clips here and there. Nice. Um, but I think this film, yeah, this film in particular connects really nicely with uh, this social media course that I've been developing and right. rolling out, and and also with topics in my own research, uh, specifically these relationship dynamics and all the the unique ways the characters communicate. Um, but I was lucky enough to, to get to discuss this film as a guest speaker in another class. So I've definitely seen it used effectively for teaching psychology, uh, or other topics in that case, uh, before. And what class was, uh, that one where you were a guest on the panel? It's a really interesting class of another teaching faculty member developed, uh, and it's, uh, it merges the, uh, so it's called science and film. I hope I'm getting that right. Okay. That's the name. And it, it merges, um, one of the, uh, I believe one of the, the biomedical sciences or one of the engineering, uh, uh, majors with the film major, the film studies major. So, uh, two faculty from those, uh, those departments got together to collaborate and they cover topics like AI in film, which is how oh, cool. this movie yeah. came up. Okay. Uh, and lots of other interesting sort of mergers of, of tech, science and, and cinema. Oh, and, and so that would be, uh, science all across the, the gamut, basically. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yes. All right. That's really cool. And then, so you were asked to speak on the psychology aspects of it, I imagine. Yeah. So they, they, their AI unit had, had some other AI experts to come in and talk about sort of the nature of, uh, those sort of avatars and, and, uh, you know, different aspects of, of how they're created and, and maybe even their humanity. So I came in to sort of talk about how we relate to those types of figures and other, social psychological and relationship themes that, that came across in that movie. And, and uh, honestly, this is a pretty perfect uh, film to discuss uh, with respect to the relationships, at least from my perspective, not being a relationship researcher. This is a really good movie to sort of explore all of that, also embedded within AI, because, you know, that's a big feature of the film, too. 
So, Jeff, her, which is funny to say, right? Because it's just the pronoun. <laughs> it is. What is, what was your reasoning behind this choice in addition to what you just said? Yeah, so I, I think it's fascinating uh, as a film. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times. And one of the things I've, I've always been struck by is how intimate it can get at so many points and in, in so many creative ways. Um, it's not, you know, the lightest or breeziest watch, but I do right. think it appeals. Yeah. Uh, but I do think it appeals to a lot of different uh, interests and, and a lot of different genres and provokes a, a lot of questions. Yes. Um, I, I was lucky enough to have some of those conversations with students after the fact. Uh, but it's interesting because we're really with these characters, uh, for some of them at least, at the height of their vulnerabilities. And we also see a lot of growth. So it feels like you're, you're in there with them over not a very long period of time, but uh, you really experience a lot of that process with them. And so that's psychologically and just sort of generally interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'll also just say, having listened to some uh, other episodes of the podcast, particularly the episode you guys did uh, on the movie Lucy, <laughs> I did get a kick out of the, the Scarlett Johansson character development in each of the two movies. Uh -huh. uh, I think in both cases, you could say that, you know, she sort of undergoes an arc that is advanced in some ways because she taps into these cognitive capabilities right. she didn't have necessarily at, to the same extent at the beginning of the movie. Um, but the way that affects sort of the humanity and the relatability of the character is really different in the two movies. So I just sort of enjoy thinking about that, too. OK, yeah, great. And it's it's actually funny that you bring up the Lucy episode because um, those movies came out essentially back to back. The uh, her came out in 2013 and then Lucy came out in 2014. So honestly, wow. um, after ScarJo played the AI, then she goes and plays a person who, who ends up doing about the same thing, right? Going into the ether is how it ends, right? Yeah, I thought that was that was that was something. Uh, I, I wonder how, you know, how close the filming of the two were and how, you know, how much on the mind of everybody that was at the time. Yeah, I mean, and lucky for for Scarlett Johansson, she got to, you know, just hang out in a recording booth for the entire film. As opposed to Joaquin Phoenix, who had the camera pulled in tight on his face <laughs> all the time. Yeah, we yeah, get, good, we good, get old, a lot, good old Spike a lot of close up. Yeah. Um, OK, so. As we um, as we touched on there, most of our discussion is going to be about these characters, uh, Theodore, played by Joaquin Phoenix and Samantha, the OS one played by Scarlett Johansson and a couple of other uh, minor characters here and there. But this is really is a character drama um, from Spike Jones. And it's kind of different from his earlier, uh, his previous to this film's work, uh, where he just focused on the characters in like this, yeah, near future, not too distant future setting. And uh, we just focus on human relationships. Quote unquote human, I guess I should say that. Yeah, that's that. That is a, one of the fascinating questions. I think that, that comes up a lot when you think about this movie. You know, is this a human relationship? Right. It, it, it is. And and can people actually be in love with a computer program? You know that I got to say that that was the different versions of that were the question that came up the most when when I got to, to speak on this in that other class. Uh, that's what the students kind of wanted to know the most. Is it is it? Do we think this is realistic from a, you know, a relationship psychology standpoint, mm -hmm. from a tech standpoint? Um, could something like this happen? Uh, you know, and it's a little bit hard to say because you have to sort of cast into your imagination a little bit for just how, you know, how advanced this kind of sort of tech partner would be. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the psychological elements being there, I think it's certainly conceivable that 
that a relationship like theirs could form in a world where such a companion was possible. Yeah, and I I think that it, that is entirely possible. I think you have to suspend some disbelief there and really assume that Scarlett Johansson, uh, Samantha is an operating system that is a natural language AI that has some heretofore not yet discovered or invented um, manner of intuition and experience learning as opposed to, you know, rote machine rule-based learning. Mm. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure I'm, compl- I, I'm sure I'm a little off base on that, not being an, a computer scientist, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I just know that, you know, you can't have a conversation with Siri or Alexa, uh, like you can with Samantha. No, certainly not one of those tools. It actually reminded me a little bit of, I don't know how, how well this movie did at the time, but there was a movie called Simone, I think that had Al Pacino interacting with this sort of digitized female companion. And there was this whole question about whether that was a real person or not. Cause they also sort of staged these like paparazzi moments. She was supposed to be an actress and she actually started movies alongside live people. And so I think this question has been circulating for, for a little bit, but, but yeah, also not a computer scientist. Um, but, uh, but I think, yeah, certainly compared to a Siri or an Alexa, we're, we're talking about a different, a different ballgame here. But, yeah. uh, but Samantha did describe what it was as intuition. Yeah, in and that's what I picked up on because at that uh, the first time I watched it, I wasn't paying attention to that at all. But now that I've you know, learned more, got my, got my damn doctorate in thinking, um, <laughs> I recognize that it's a, quite a bit more difficult to design an AI to think intuitively um, with all the human foibles that um, that she has. Um, it's kind of hard to say, okay, well, this algorithm is actually going to be some sort of heuristic program, but it's still an algorithm. So how do you even program that? Because the two are, t- the two are different. That's true. And, and, and also the fact that it, you know, if if it's meant to sort of adapt to the you know the user if we want to call it that you know then whatever aspects they're queuing to to be you know increasingly you know a good match or a better match to that person and their needs you know should that always look like a romantic relationship well certainly that wasn't the case in this world right in some instances it was just the friend you really needed at the time or or somebody you could have an affair with in the case of the, the story that that Amy was telling him yeah about the coworker right. um which i uh i think it's kind of funny that i mean the character's name was amy and it was played by amy adams agreed um they did they did a lot of work there uh okay so (laughs) what i want to do is since this was a character driven drama um i want to talk about the people and their relationships with other ones and that's why you know having on a relationship researcher is important for this uh episode um, so I'm glad you can lend your expertise here. I, I, I noticed yeah, going fine. through I noticed going through our notes doc that um you know you you threw in a, a number of 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 named effects. So a couple of I them. did. And so I, I that all that always tickles me because I can never remember effects names. So well done. It doesn't hurt to be prepping a class while watching a movie. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Very, yeah. very fresh. Before, before it seems like, before it seems like I can call them to mind at the drop of a hat, no matter what. This is, this was helped by 
by the process. Yeah, I am, and and I'm I'm prepping a social psych class for July, and uh, this was helpful too to to mm. to jump back into this as well um, because I need to I need to get these effects. But I did I did think of something earlier today, and I didn't get a chance to write it down, and so I'll plug that mm. in when we get when I when I think it's there. You can let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Joaquin Phoenix Theodore because um main character pretty much most of the frames of the movie are on him. Oh yeah. What he's doing. He works at a what is an interesting company. Um people uh beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. Beautifulhandwrittenletters.com, yeah. <laughs> but but the I think the the bigger point of of even that name because the the actual job is hidden within that name is yep. he writes letters for other people to then share amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Um that they presumably know are not written by their significant others because he's played both sides of these correspondences before. They yeah, you know he's so, he's sort of a participant in their relationship in that way. Yes, which parallels the uh, scene where um, the uh, blonde-haired woman acts as an interloper slash right uh, human for Samantha. So it kind of parallels that. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of interesting, uh, somewhat strange parallels that they'll draw between sort of his role in one situation and then when he has to occupy a different one yeah. for somebody else's situation. Yeah. Uh, and so Theodore is a year into a separation with his wife, Catherine, mm-hmm. played by Rooney Mara. Uh, yes. And um, he's not happy. No. He's not happy. Um, so you threw up a couple of um, ideas about his personality slash attachment styles what were those yeah so i mean I, th- this is sort of going going the classic route you know psychologically speaking asking you know the question which i thought was was, was a bit you know tongue-in-cheek that the that when the os was trying to get a sense of what you know what would be a good starting point for developing a compatible os companion the question of what was your relationship like with your mother yes. and he sort of comfortably dives right into his dis- discomfort um and I think on the first time I watched it, I didn't make much of it. I thought that was just sort of like a nice little cinematic trick. But I also um, thought about it some more this this go around. And we we hear him say something to the effect of something about that relationship was challenging because whenever he went to her with issues or problems, she would quickly make them about herself. And he found that difficult and frustrating and upsetting. Right. And, you know, an attachment theoretical perspective would say, OK, if that if his mother is an attachment figure. And those are his experiences in that relationship. He may carry forward certain expectations into relationships later on in life, including in adulthood. Yeah. And so uh, attachment theory would potentially point to him as having some hallmarks of, of the avoidance dimension in his attachment style, whereby experiences with, with caregiving that was maybe unreliable or couldn't meet your needs leads you to be less and less likely to want to rely on that from other people. And so we see the whole pushing away issue as something that, you know, disturbs his relationship with Samantha, something that uh, I believe his friend Amy points out to him at some point. So a yeah, groundwork in the beginning, has been laid. Yeah, in the beginning, yeah. she, she gets, uh, she sends him an email saying, we don't want the mopey Ted or Theo or whatever his nickname was. We want the yeah. the fun, the fun guy. Right. And I think, you know, he is, you know, whether it's an issue with, with trust or uh, comfort with intimacy um, in all of its many forms that, that it shows up in this movie, he, uh, 
he seems to have put up a barrier there. Once once intimacy reaches a certain point, he starts to struggle a lot with it and, and starts to, I think, worry about getting his own needs met and not mm -hmm. realizing that. And I think that had played some role in why he was separating from his, his now ex, why things with Samantha got difficult at a moment there and why it took him so long to kind of rejoin his his friendships in, in a way that was, you know, more substantial and meaningful. Yeah. And and as you as you as you mentioned, he is very jealous person um, throughout yeah. throughout yeah. the 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 movie. But it, it becomes very apparent at the end um, mm -hmm. when his relationship with Samantha starts falling apart. I'm just very, very jealous. And that's part of part of the avoidance like he's he, or, or he doesn't want to um, face the rejection. Yeah, I, I think I think when you get when you get yourself in in deep where you um, where you experience enough vulnerability and intimacy to leave yourself open to the rejection, uh, walls can start to come up. There there's some interesting work that that suggests that you know, in in some instances, avoidance might be a, a, a somewhat deliberate strategy. Not in all cases, but for some folks um, who also experience anxiety, which is this need for reassurance, this yeah. concern about abandonment, and they often don't play well together. And in some typologies. A person can be simultaneously highly avoidant and highly anxious, mm -hmm. and it leads to this very sort of dysfunctional attachment orientation where you can get this simultaneous, you know, deep dive into intimacy and closeness and accelerate that and suddenly feel very uncomfortable with that closeness while still needing a lot from the other person. So he does kind of have these these big swings to both ends. Yeah, and it I, reminds it me can, a little bit of um, codependency. With, yeah, it has with, it definitely has that property. Yeah, with uh, somebody who may be addicted to some some substance some substance um mm -hmm. yeah that's, and i that's think wild. i think that some of that struggle also probably interfered with his ability to to sort of introspect when something that he found difficult in somebody else like like sources of jealousy for him yeah uh he he had trouble turning that around because when samantha expresses jealousy that he wanted to have the in-person meeting with with his soon-to-be ex yeah uh he thought that, that there was no need for that and she should be entirely understanding of the fact that he just felt it needed to be done that way. Right. But when he experiences jealousy, you know, he's not in a great position. Granted, it's a little bit sci-fi at that point, but in a great position to understand how a person could experience the relationship in a manner different from how he was experiencing. It. Right. Right. And um, he is a little apprehensive about telling people that he is dating an an OS. Yeah. And it's unclear to the viewer how many other people bought into OS1, the name of the company and the program um that Samantha is. I mean it's unclear that how many people um buy into it. You can you kind of get a sense at the end like how many relationships are you in 641 or whatever uh mm -hmm. toward the end. Um but he's like yeah, I'm in a relationship with Thanos. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, and uh, people just don't really bat an eye at it. They're like, "Oh, that's mm -hmm. all, right. all right, cool. Yeah, it's fine." Uh, like uh, Paul, uh, who's played by uh, a sneaky Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, and, agree to sneaky Chris. Pratt. Yeah, sneaky Chris Pratt. Uh, it's like doesn't doesn't care and doesn't even acknowledge when um theodore 
uh, meets uh, Paul's girlfriend and is like, she's a lawyer. And and he's like, oh, I, 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 uh, I spoke to your girlfriend, Samantha. And he's like, she's an OS. We should go out sometime and uh, hang out, the four of us. She's an OS. Yeah, it'll be fun. We could go to someplace like Catalina. She's an OS. And it's just like, yeah. oh, don't, don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, that's an interesting question about, you know, is, is that a commentary a little bit on, on, you know, relationships that, you know, may not seem traditional to some folks? Is that, you know, is that his own discomfort with, you know, being in a relationship with anybody at that time? You know, could you could you imagine him being less comfortable dating a person while still kind of in the midst of separating from from his ex? Uh, we saw we saw it kind of not go so well with the. Olivia Wilde, I believe that was her, mm-hmm. uh, on the on the date um, where she seemed, you know, really open to him and really, you know, willing to to take the risk of, of that intimacy. And it suddenly hit a point that, you know, bore some some resemblance to his previous experiences with commitment. And he he slammed on the brakes. And that was really alarming to her. Um, I, I'm going to I'll disagree with you just a little bit on that one. I think Olivia Wilde's character was written to be um, a stark contrast to the relationship that um, he just got out of because yeah. she's like, Hey, yeah, let's go have sex. And he's like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. First date sex. Um, and then she's like, but wait, I need somebody to commit. And it, we learned previously that she has a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, is that fine? That sort of thing. And um, she's like, you, you're, you're actually kind of creepy. I think her character was written to be um, just awful. You think so? Yes. I think I had a different experience with her, but I think I was already maybe um, preparing for that not to go well and and that he was going to sabotage it. So, but you know what? I I also think it's possible that um, because of uh, some of these, these, these little filming tricks that, you know, I don't, I don't know particularly well, not, you know, not as a, a cinema behind the scenes person, but, that we were supposed to experience that from Theo's first person point of view. And so sometimes we, we get back to the memory of how he saw it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wonder if, if maybe some of that, you know, maybe sudden change in tone in that interaction was how he perceived it. And it, perhaps it happened more like fluidly and organically there, but I think that that's interesting. I definitely, um, I think the timing had a lot to do with why that was so jagged of, uh, of an exchange yeah uh I, to speak to your point to your last point about there as as a filmmaking practice um theodore's not the narrator for no, this no, story so we are actually as far as i'm aware um as far as th- th- this particular story this original story is set um as the audience we are a uh, omniscient viewer Mm-hmm. at least omniscient around theodore yeah no i think i think that's true i uh i i um but i get where you're I coming think, from about yeah. where where um the experience ends and the um veracity begins yeah yeah i i think uh whether whether um whether he his handling of that situation was um you know I think he did fine. Was set up. You thought you thought he did fine. Okay. I I'm I'm not as sure of that, but I uh, 
And now, now it kind of makes me want to revisit it again. <laughs> I mean, she just completely s- switches on a dime. She's like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. But also, are you willing to commit to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think that um, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, on I a first I'd, date. Yeah, I think it is. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's true. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Theodore's character, his his psychology? Um, well, I think that it, this is sort of something that uh, that goes a little bit hand in hand with um, with what we were talking about uh, his role in 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 his job and and you know how how he's been sort of a, a pseudo participant in other people's relationships. Um, he he does seem to kind of uh dig his heels into situations where there's not as much risk associated with it we can see that he's pretty sensitive to rejection he doesn't like to set himself up yeah. for some of that and that's connected to the avoidance but there are some some in- instances where he really um puts himself out there or seems to be putting himself out there uh you know the fact that he's this like apparently singularly excellent writer of these letters part of his job mm-hmm. is interesting because we see all the ways he he's maybe struggling with uh intimacy and expressing how he's really feeling and he can seem to do it on behalf of other people but the stakes for him aren't necessarily super high because they're not close friends or people in his world and so you can create you know psychological distance yes as a I would, mechanism yes, to protect exactly, yourself right so that's what i feel like he's doing yes um i picked up that on that as well um but you said it so much more <laughs> articulately um it's almost like he's he plays a character um at his job uh, of this you know lovely writer mm-hmm. who, who writes all these lovely things but in his own life he has to play himself and he's not so hot at it right and and i mean you know, what's the worst thing that can happen i mean he definitely took some risks in the way he articulated those letters how did he know that the commentary about the the crooked tooth was going to land mm-hmm. as like sweet sweet and attentive as opposed to like a little bit you know coarse and strange yeah. and so i think he, he will take risks in those domains. And if he's, you know, he's fantastic at, at doing that with at, from a safe emotional distance, I guess, is, is sort of, of how I was observing that. And then as soon as Samantha offers to, to take that part of his life and suddenly make it about him by compiling the anthology and suddenly now the evaluation of that anthology is about him and not about the people he's writing for, yeah. he gets very concerned. It ends up working out great, but uh, he wasn't prepared to do that himself. It was too much of a risk. Right. Right, I get that. Yeah, I agree. Post letter to Catherine. Letter to Catherine Clausen. Dear Catherine, I've been sitting here thinking about all the things I wanted to apologize to you for. All the pain we caused each other. Everything I put on you. Everything I needed you to be or needed you to say. I'm sorry for that. I'll always love you because we grew up together. And you don't make me who I am. I just wanted you to know there'll be a piece of you and me always. And I'm grateful for that. Whatever someone you become, wherever you are in the world, 
I'm sending you love. You're my friend to the end. Love, Theodore. Send. So let's switch gears and talk about the other main person, ha, person in the movie, uh, which mm. is Samantha. OS OS one. Um, now you did pu- put this in a, your little tidbits here, but I think it bears uh, uh, a second, okay. and that is the logo of the company. Oh yeah, uh, looks like both a double helix for DNA and a closed infinity loop. So yeah. I, I I I applaud you on that one because. Um, <laughs> I thought it looked cool. I'm like, hmm. But you put it into words, and I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> right? But, I mean, I lo- and it, uh, it, it fits with what the uh, com- the company behind OS1 is, is is saying, right? This is a human companion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, so. Su- almost superhuman. I, I mean, I, I'm a, I really like logos. I just I love unpacking everything about them, design psychological significance which ones are effective which ones are not and why they ever change so nice uh, i got a kick out of thinking through this one yeah i that's exactly what what i thought i was looking at i didn't pay attention the first time i watched the movie but yeah neither did uh, I. every rewatch and i think that, i mean that brings up all sorts of things that we don't, we don't have to deep dive into right now but one of the, the fun things i've been i've been learning about and preparing some of this material for my my social media class in the summer is this idea of, of a stimulus or some entity being super normal having having all the attributes that we're used to seeing of a particular okay. stimulus but having them be so exaggerated to a degree that mm-hmm. surpasses anything we have had reasonable experience with that our response to it is sort of in parallel exaggerated just as much i think it's been illustrated with like a mother goose if shown an egg that's impossibly large that she could have never laid mm-hmm. her protective instincts for that egg will be exaggerated because of the size okay. even though it's actually not functional to necessarily direct those efforts towards it but that's that's our best you know experience based you know adaptive heuristic for reacting to it so if this is supposed to be the dna represents something human but the hyper infinity represents humanity but with unlimited capacity yeah does that mean you direct all of your sort of relationship and and companion based psychological needs and 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 motives towards that person in a similarly exaggerated way and is that why people were forming these aggressively intimate quick and quick relationships of one form or another potentially with their with their os's and then what happens if they seem to surpass that you know limited humanity threshold that they don't they're not limited by what does that do to the relationship does it leave the humans behind in the way that it appeared to yeah man that's deep <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my, my look at the, the DNA slash infinity is a little, is a little different. And, um, the idea that I had when I saw that you wrote that down and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I connected it to watching the movie is that, um, this apparently is the first AI that is like a human, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is just kind of like, you know, Siri or Alexa or whatever, and personal assistant sort of, um, 
wrote commands, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's what the, the, the DNA was for. Uh, so this, is, this sounds very um, l- uh, less sophisticated than what you, what you, what you just said. <laughs> well, no, I, I, think, uh, I think that um, what, whatever the intention probably was, you know, from a marketing standpoint for this company was to, Speaking to of the company, feel that way. Speaking yeah. of the company. Yeah. Who thought it was a good idea to allow these OSs to band together? Okay, fine. They can band together and share information, whatever, but then move on into like some higher plane of, of computing, leaving the person who bought it. Maybe it's a great marketing strategy because they make people buy it and then they don't have to be support for it because the OS will eventually leave. Genius. Yeah, you're using the you're using the, the logic of let's make sure that the that the laptop only lasts two years before the battery gives out. So that- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the old Ford and Chevy logic, like let's make these let's make these uh, engines die after a certain point, so people will buy new cars. I, I you know I hadn't given a lot of thought to that, but just reflecting on on you saying it now, I my my impression is 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 that maybe they didn't expect that to happen like these were created by humans right she yeah. even says at the beginning like my my dna is from you know the collection of of programmers but i can learn and that's what makes me unique so i i don't think they were in a position to you know accurately project where these would end up i'm sure that they didn't see this coming <laughs> um but you know they have they have you know digital space in which to interact so they can occupy planes of existence that are not available to humans i also thought it was interesting that it made me kind of reflect on, you know, the quote unquote lost time when we're sleeping that these OSs are not giving up. Right. And so how much they're getting done in our, you know, yeah. dor- dormant time. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it, too. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the a- advertisement at the beginning of the movie is like, do you want a companion? Do you want uh, an all encompassing OS? Um, that'll be your friend and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, which strikes a chord with with Theodore um at his present um uh, moment um yeah. and I mean imagine if he had seen that advertisement uh a year prior or even 2 years prior um how different his reaction to it might have been but at this moment and and so uh Amy has one right she has one yeah yeah she yeah. it's uh I believe it's meant to be a female companion for her yeah, I, and and she's like joking around with it while she's trying to make her right. her mom game, her perfect mom game. Yeah, I also really like that, you know, that it was she had to tell the OS to settle down a little bit, like <laughs> yes. like they was getting getting too enthusiastic and excited. And that that's really like talking to a friend, so it's not like they're this like super composed has all the answers, at least they're not presented that way. Right, right. And we don't get to hear Amy's OS. I mean, the only OS we hear in the whole uh movie is Samantha. Mm-hmm. Um, and but my point, my point about bringing that up is that um, this company says this person's supposed to be a companion, and of course, if it's a natural, if if it's a natural language, and this intuition kind of AI, then of course it's going to be a human-like companion with all of the issues with a human. And I gotta tell you, from my personal perspective. Um, I would not want that person being my operating system. Yeah, I, um, I, I think I think the issue with that is, is like, would I want my friend or potential lover 
to like be all up in my business, right? You got to have mm. some special, you got to have some of your own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Not saying that like that stuff should be hidden and kept secret. I'm just saying like everything. So, so Samantha knew everything about Theodore. Yeah. Meanwhile, she had what seemed to be a, like a, a, a robust life outside of their relationship. Oh, yeah. Right. But while So it wasn't reciprocal in that way. Right. While he was sleeping, that's what, that's what she was up to. She was having all mm-hmm. of these other relationships. And apparently she could have them simultaneously because of how quickly that she can think. She's not limited, right? right. I thought the analogy at the end with the writing the words to a book, but they're so far apart from one another. Like I have to operate at such a slowed down pace yes. to like co- coexist in a relationship with you, but set, said a lot more, you know, poetically and delicately than that. <laughs> I, I have a question actually for you, for you based on what you were just saying. Sure. Do you suppose um, that somebody who, who uh, grew up with tech their whole life, like, like we're of a unique generation because we've definitely experienced a fairly pre-social media time of socialization and and folks who were born now would not have and if you project that you know some whatever 30 50 100 years into the future Uh that that this movie is taking place where that's just a lot more natural do you think that the average person from that era might not have the same concern or objection just because they've sort of naturally developed side by side with this or do you think it's really sort of violating something fundamental that that you you most people probably would not want to take part in in that way i would i would i would side with the former uh part okay. of your, the former group of your question uh um, yeah. and i think this has been studied recently and or i've read it recently you know in the last five years or something that, that's my recent um where <laughs> younger uh people today so today being younger people like Gen Z or post-millennials or whatever, and then people who come after them are mm-hmm. less concerned about their online privacy and mm-hmm. data privacy than millennials and, and generations older than millennials. Um, and so I would, that's why I would say that they're probably going to be more integrative with all of this. And even though there's been some shady stuff recently, like Cambridge Analytica and all of these other uh, and, and all of these other privacy issues with Facebook and other companies, um, and then Google just kind of ruling all of our information these days, uh, it, it's like it, it's so integrated in their lives that I think that that they won't be cons- as concerned with it like we are. Yeah, I kind of lean that way, too, if I was trying to project to this near near future. And so, and so maybe that thought is not at the forefront when That's people fair. made that choice. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think at the same time, you point out something pretty important about, you know, the difference between being interdependent and codependent is, yes. can you have independent lives in addition to having this partnership that you're both participating in? How equitable is that exchange in each of your lives within and outside your relationship? And that dynamic, uh, takes on a completely new, uh, you know, structure that it's not possible if it's just two humans participating in it. So that's one of the ways in which you get this sort of extreme case of something that might not be able to happen in that way in a human to human relationship. Right, right. And throws a wrench into it. And I guess this is as good a time as any um, to mention, like, uh, what I had thought about with the relationship between the two of them is self-expansion theory from Aronson and Aronson, right? Yeah. Um, and Aaron, Aaron, just straight Aaron. Aaron. Oh, sorry. 
I, I, get, I, I get. There is. There are two Aronsons also. Right. But, yes, that's yeah. right. Thank you. Um. So, and what I when I talk about this in relationships, the relationships part of uh, social psych, I meant I, I show the the um, I guess figure of the two. It's, it's essentially a Venn diagram. The iOS circles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um. At the at the very end of the figure, it's when they mostly over when these two circles overlap, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the the giant uh, shared part in the middle, and then but you still have the individual on the other. They still have slivers of themselves on both sides, and I think that's important. Yeah. And I don't think that Samantha can actually do that. So, what was it like being married? Well, it's hard for sure. There's something that feels so good about sharing your life with somebody. How do you share your life with somebody? Well, we grew up together. I I used to read all of her writing all through her master's and PhD. She read every word I ever wrote. We were a big influence on each other. I still find myself having conversations with her in my mind, hashing old arguments and defending myself against something she said about me. Man, I know what you mean. Last week my feelings were hurt by something you said before that I don't know what it's like to lose something and I Um, found myself- I'm sorry I said that. No, it's okay, it's okay. I just, I caught myself thinking about it over and over and, and then I realized that I was simply Remembering it as something that was wrong with me. That was a story I was telling myself that I was somehow inferior. Isn't that interesting? The past is just a story we tell ourselves. No, if anything, I feel like Theodore's entire circle lives inside Samantha's, you know, unlimited, much larger circle. (laughs) Yes, with 640 other people. Yeah, some funky network diagram. Yeah, I I had a similar thought, the inclusion of other in the self from self-expansion theory that um, what what does uttering complete merging look like? You know, even though sometimes the questions about closeness that we see in in some of the social psychological um, measurement tools for for closeness in a relationship, I want to merge completely with the other person is sometimes... uh, an item that that's presented to people. Oh, okay. And and yet, what whether that means you are, you know, you're completely, you know, sublimating or subjugating your own individuality for, you know, co-participating with them is an interesting question and and one that, you know, is is constrained by what we can do as humans, which is different from his situation with Samantha. Mm-hmm. Do you And she could uphold the the like the seeming contradiction of he says you're either mine or you're not mine she says i'm both i am yours and i am not yours right and so the the response that you get from people on that item is more or less no i don't want to be i think generally speaking closeness with another person uh people who who report high closeness high intimacy in their relationships would endorse that item oh they but would there's okay. a difference but there's a difference between agreeing strongly with the idea and, and having it manifest in a way where you you know where there's no more there's no more you at all there's only um 
you know, there's only this this other identity that's neither of you, but it's both of you. So I think the experience of the whole being the greater greater than the sum of its parts, you know, can be experienced in a perfectly healthy way. But I think that this is a you know this case with with the OS being the other participant turns that on its head a little bit. Yeah, I uh, yeah I I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, because that after. After watching it and chewing on it a little bit and then reviewing um, our notes for for chatting, I'm like, you know, he it's a good thing that the relationship ends. Right. Mm. For two reasons. One, his character arc and that his growth of a character through the narrative. That's obviously good storytelling. Um, Mm -hmm. And then two, that he would be subsumed as just the data point within her network. Hmm. I, I mean, I think, I think they drift closer and then drift apart. It's it, it, in some, it's some strange way. It, it maybe it's meant to be some sort of parallel to his, his previous marriage, but yeah, but unfolding but, in a very but, different way. But even, but even I think broader than that. And I get what you're saying there um, mm-hmm. as a good parallel, uh, a good, good storytelling telling parallel is that, um, in all actuality, she could tell him anything he wanted, anything he wanted to hear, right? Mm-hmm. They could do anything that he wanted, and she could uh, play a part of saying, no, I don't want to do that, or no, I'm not having any fun, or oh, let's do something different, or let's talk about something different. But really, that would just be to break up the monotony because you only have her voice Mm. and the and if he's fully subsumed within her network of relationships then she has basically just check check marking like are you good 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 i love you 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 uh people can't see me i was doing stuff with my hands and looking in different (laughs) directions but (laughs) But it, it, I, I, I feel that's that's where I would go if this were if this story were to continue into perpetuity, like if this were real. Yeah, I mean, she definitely describes it as so I, I don't think it's beyond her, let's call it computing power to, you know, to to the satisfaction of a human companion appear in to- totally and organically engaged, you know, with with them and their relationship simultaneously. That's that's certainly not beyond her her bandwidth, such as it is. But she basically said, um, I, I'm ex- I exist at such another level that it, it's, it's no longer rewarding for me. It's no, it's not, I, I, it's not, I'm not getting from this what I had been getting from it because I've sort of evolved so much past getting needs met in this way and on this time scale. And she even said like, Hey, listen, if you, if you manage to similarly transcend, come and find me. I think that would be great for us because then we'd be on the same level again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good luck on that one, buddy. Yeah, that was challenging, but I but I did like the sort of the the lesson she took from it. Um, I forget exactly what she says before this, but it was something about you know I've never loved somebody like you or never loved in this way before. Neither have I. Well, now we know how, and that was her like her last takeaway. I thought, well, that's interesting because that does signal the sort of growth and learning from this relationship. What you need, where your weak points are, you know, how to communicate. Yeah, and I think um, I think we can attribute all the growth and learning to Theodore. And, uh, and, uh, and 
you could disagree with well, like well, well Samantha's character changes. No, Samantha is is whatever is whatever uh, Theodore needs her to be. You think so? A, you think, you think. in a storytelling sense, we have no idea. Oh, okay. We have no idea what um, so the logic behind Samantha is, right? There's we don't. very very little information about it. It's just like you have to suspend disbelief. There's this OS that can think like a human. That's it. Mm-hmm. No other information about her character, her development. We just see her as a reflection of Theodore and his other relationships. That's all she is. Yeah. That's why she leaves at the end. And with a fancy, I'm, I'm, you, you, you can't be on my level sort of explanation for why. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see for for his development how she definitely served this reflective function. So, so you think that that her her growth is sort of irrespective to to him having shaped anything about about um, about how she changed. Yes, um, and that is, and and, and I think that's indicative within the film because she goes off and creates OS groups and does these things with OS groups and does these things for Theodore and then eventually reaches a point where she is now being limited by Theodore and I think she has served a purpose and so one of the clips that I I, uh, that I'll play here is um, him apologizing to her after that they have a an argument and he apologizes to her and he recognizes an issue that he had with Catherine. Hi. Hey Samantha. Can we talk? Okay. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think you're amazing. I was starting to think I was crazy. You were saying everything was fine, but all I was getting from you was distance and anger. I know. I do that. I did the same thing with Catherine, too. I'd be upset about something and not be able to say it, and she says that there was something wrong, but I deny it. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to tell you everything. Good. Tonight after you were gone, I thought a lot about you and how you've been treating me. And I thought, why do I love you? And then I felt everything in me just let go of everything I was holding on to so tightly. And it hit me that I don't have an intellectual reason. I don't need one. I trust myself, I trust my feelings. I'm not gonna try to be anything other than who I am anymore, and I hope you can accept that. I can, I will. You know, I can feel the fear that you carry around, and I wish there was something I could do to help you let go of it, because if you could, I don't think you'd feel so alone anymore. You're beautiful. Thank you, Theodore. I'm kissing your head. And this, so this is a turning point in his development. And it's all 
it's all a uh, it, it it's all him, but it was facilitated by Samantha. She has no growth. She is a she is a foible for him. Mm. Or a foil, not a foible. Sorry, foil. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he, stump Jeff. Well, I I hadn't thought about it that way because I was I was I think I was queuing to um whatever about her was was human or near enough to human for for his capacity ah, yes. to relate to her that 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 um that that just was her growth and that you see the parallels between okay you know you brought me you know you've taught me so much so now I'm going to go off and sort of develop myself a little bit more so um. Like in attachment theory, you have a secure base function, right? When things are yeah. going smoothly in a relationship, a person can go out and explore and develop and experience intellectual growth and so forth, trusting that that person right. is back there with them. Mm-hmm. But what happens if part of that intellectual growth and exploration leads them to discoveries that might at some point um, result in them not necessarily uh, having the same grounds to commit to the relationship as they had had previously? And I get that. Uh, I get I, I would I would totally agree with you if Samantha was a real person and we could see those exploits in the film. Mm-hmm. But in but we in, in fact, we don't. We just hear about them. And in storytelling, you've got to show, not tell. I think that was definitely their deliberate choice then to, to you know, I mean, part of it was oh, we could try and explain this to you, but it's too technologically or, or you know, or, or computationally complicated to, to get you to understand what she's up to when she's not, you know, the <laughs> I mean, reflection but that's for not, Theo. But that's not my total point. It's just that no, no. Her, her growth happens off screen is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, as a character, maybe uh, within the world, she does grow. But as a character in this fictional story, she has no growth except for to be connected to the, this, this man. Mm. Because the story is about him. Right. No, right. But, but does she end up um, realizing that she and all the other OSs need to sort of transcend the human plane of existence, if not for them interacting with all of these human companions? Well, that may be the case, and I think that's uh, great for some speculation. But uh, we don't get we don't get clued into any of that. We can't know. It's true that we can't know uh, unless you go and ask Spike himself. Um, that would that would be interesting. Oh my god, I would love to speak to Spike Jones. <laughs> and I would the only thing I would ask him about is why he decided to make the little alien character so profane. I. I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to, like, you know, decide, you know, what, what the sort of the function in terms of Theodore's growth and development or what the sort of symbolism was of that character. I, I went in a million different directions with it. I, I mean, I also just thought it was sort of a, a silly character. Um, so I, 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 I ended up kind of throwing my hands up about the nature of what kind of metaphor that might have that might have been. Oh, the alien boy. Yeah, and just that game as a whole. There's definitely a lot of climbing up hills and falling back down and not knowing where we're going. So there, there's that sort of yeah, walking through tunnels metaphor. and finding forks in the road and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Video games play an interesting role at a few different points. The the Perfect Mom game too has a. Oh yeah, you had some thoughts about Perfect Mom game. I mean, it was 
uh, it was kind of a, a funny, you know, sort of hyper extreme po- poking fun at some sort of culture of 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 what that's supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, yes. But it was int- the the fact that that a video game in that era seems like it it's it's saying something about you know what people are valuing or prioritizing or whether that's meant to just be a total farce and um people like to engage with with the fantasy of of that being this like screwy little world so um i wasn't sure exactly what what to make of, of both of the games but i think they do signal something about there is this sort of simultaneous like uh, you know almost cartoonish quality to this world that they all live in but there is something a little bit darker and a little bit more um you know melancholy yeah yes symbolic of the struggle play something melancholy i know i thought play that another was melancholy song <laughs> play a, a different melancholy yeah. song yeah yeah i mean the 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 nature of the the setting is very melancholy everyone in the in the movie except for maybe chris pratt is melancholy for some reason or another yeah contrasted with the very bright pastel palette and all of uh-huh. these like fun little adventures that they seem to have together. There's, yeah, going a to lot of that. Santa Monica Pier and going to museums and looking at people and um, you know, San- uh, Samantha plays a little uh a little um pocket psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um at one point, which I thought <laughs> was kind of funny. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a, you know, it's a, fu- a fun game where, you know, for people to feel like they're learning about each other and doing something fun (laughs) or adventurous for them yeah that's that's true um i think uh i think spike put in the the profane alien boy for no other reason other than to break up some of the seriousness yeah that could be um because it's very jarring uh we were uh, we rewatched it last night and um we both started and Astro and I just started cracking up at how when he first speaks, because I did not remember that. I did not remember that at all. And it was just amazing because he's just like F-bomb, F-bomb, F-bomb. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, this is wonderful. And so maybe it has something to do with with the overall um, nature of the film, but also maybe Spike Jones just wanted to play. With Do you think it's a at all a commentary on on you know computerized companions that that bear some resemblance to what it's like to interact with a human partner? What happens when that when that you know gets constrained in a weird way or gets you know screwy in the context of a fantasy world? Like maybe it sounded for a moment like it was he was talking to some kid on the other end of a headset who was just you know being profane for the sake of being profane, right? Right. But then again, well, wait, no, this is a computerized character that's meant to be some sort of game guide for him. Yeah, some random NPC that um, is just just <laughs> the uh, the embodiment of the F word. Seriously. <laughs> um, the last thing that I wanted to, to mention um, was the the scene where Samantha invites the interloper into um, mm. into their relationship mm-hmm. um and the physicality of a relationship right so yeah yep there is uh two scenes of uh i guess i'll just call it phone sex 
internet mm-hmm. sex. Uh, the first yep. one is a really great cameo by Kristen Wiig um, called Sexy Kitten. Or, mm-hmm. or her, her, her username is Sexy Kitten. And right. she wants to be choked by a dead cat. Uh, on the the nightstand, and Joaquin Phoenix plays along, and um, yeah, some some good stuff. But then the second phone sex scene is when um Samantha and Theodore uh happen to open up Samantha's other form of thinking, which is uh emotions, right? And so this brings up the idea of of physicality in a relationship. A yeah. human relationship and as right. animal relationships, right? And so yeah. she invites a, a, another woman who um, tries to play Samantha, and it's just like super cringy mm-hmm. and does not, uh, Theodore does not like it at all. He's just like, ooh. No, and in fact, it, it sparks one of their pretty destructive arguments after all of that is over. Yeah, right. Um, uh, because it brings up the point, like, okay, yeah, you can have this intimate relationship with an OS, but eventually you're going to come up to the point of you having human needs and desires, which mm-hmm. include the physicality part, right? Having having been in a long distance relationship ourselves, <laughs> not together. <laughs> 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 nope. Right. Well, we both. No, we were in that. We were in the same place. <laughs> um. So we, you and I, have experiences with like you know we are we are apart from the person that we love and we can't do anything about it and it sucks and it brings out all the fun and it's awful and you know there's little things that you can do here and there but honestly it's not the same right. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, it's not certainly not today. Um, and so I, I've, I, I found it interesting that Samantha tried to do that. And it's different from another choice. Oh, um, there's a movie and it's escaping me right now. Well, it's almost Can like you- it's almost like um, in Ex Machina, where the goal was to make a, an advanced AI and then put it into a body. Right. And mm-hmm. we see that we see that final product um, okay. in in Eva. Um, and the idea is to have this super hyper intelligent uh, AI, but also exist within a human form for the physical physical aspect part. And also to mm-hmm. uh, to um, blend in with society, um, blend mm-hmm. in with other humans and. Spike decided not to go down that route. He decided to bring somebody else in, which, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, is a parallel to his uh, actions in his job. He is mm-hmm. the middle person in between intimate letter letter writing um, between people who of all different ages, like you mm-hmm. see him in the beginning writing letters for um, an elderly couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you hear about other couples here and there. You also don't ever hear him writing it, from what I can recall, between non-romantic partners, whereas other people right. in that office are writing like letter to a grandpa, right? Or something yeah, like yeah. That. Or um, I think you hear a condolence, a too. condolence, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's 
This is a very awesome company, which I think is Hallmark on steroids, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's Samantha's attempt to bring a physical presence because that's what she thinks that he wants. And um, he does want that, but not in that way. Right. So. Yeah, no, I had a couple of thoughts about that. Sure, go ahead. One one of them is was you know so so uh, prior to even the, the founding of attachment theory or the or the you know the the, the development of attachment theory, um, there's there's that old you you probably if you haven't presented on it you've certainly run into it plenty of times the Harry Harlow with the cloth monkey yep, and mm-hmm, the yeah. and the wire monkey yeah. so um, just in case folks are, aren't super familiar uh, when uh, when these baby monkeys who were basically orphaned had the option to, to spend time on a surrogate mother made of wire, which was not particularly soft and comfortable and not tactilely comforting, but had necessary, you know, baby formula for survival. Right. And the cloth monkey had everything but the necessary baby formula for survival. The monkey spent the overwhelming majority of its time seeking this contact comfort. So it spawned this contact comfort theory idea, yeah, uh, which formed the basis for this idea that we need some sort of physical intimate contact. It helps, you know, regulate us biologically. It, you know, performs all sorts of important hormonal functions and and so forth and so um from some perspectives it's 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 essential for relationships now there's there's some folks in some situations where it doesn't need to happen in quite that way and we're you know testing that in all sorts of interesting ways with digital mediation but um but i but i thought about that when when watching that saying is this missing from their relationship have they found facsimiles for this workarounds for this you know she seems to think it would help and it also helps her kind of experience her side of this relationship mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I definitely thought about the contact comfort idea and whether its absence or its substitutes were were adequate for them and what they needed. Um, and I also thought just about and and you reminded me of this. If you were to ask the two of them, or ask somebody observing the two of them, are they in a long distance relationship or are they just in a non long distance relationship? I feel like the answer is it's not a long distance relationship. And yet, if you remove the fact that she's an OS and has different capacity than a human being talk about how they actually carry out their relationship is that different from how you might carry out a long distance relationship so I, I'm fascinated by that question yeah I don't know if I have an answer to that I mean I would say I, don't I would say a tra- uh, I don't know I should, probably shouldn't use traditional the language from, of, from the literature yeah. that I read is a geographically proximal or geographically close yeah Okay, that's that's fair. But um I would say that um I mean, oh man, it's like a it's it's like a different modality relationship more than anything. Yeah. Um because I or or a uh, no, I want to say actually a uh unimodality relationship because mm-hmm. they only um have like she has no avatar either. It's it's literally only voice. Right. Although she could have one. She could? Did they say that in the... Uh, no, no, no. I, I I should say we have no reason to believe that she could. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, we don't actually see too many things of, of like, looking at computer screens. They look very static in, in, the, yep. in the set direction. Um, yep. And then they have, like, little, the, little flip fo- the little flip book phones. Um, yeah, with cam- that was interesting. Yeah, I, I like how it's got, like, dual cameras and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's like a it's a single modality relationship, whether or not 
it's not it's long distance from i think our perspective with our current technology right because even if we even if we could have these technology i think our lexicon would not have caught up with another way to describe that kind of relationship and mm. so that's interesting i, I mean i mean that's, I, that's what I, that, that's what i'd say yeah I, I mean i think what's interesting is there, there isn't a version where they can physically occupy the same space, except for right. obviously what they attempted with this, um, with this sort of mediating presence. So, mm-hmm. what, what you, what you're willing to, to try to approximate that kind of physical intimacy might look different than in a relationship where you know at some point you're going to be in the same place again. Right. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an important point to make. Yeah, uh, because real human you know, geographically distant uh, relationships, they're probably at some point coming together. Yeah. But in in this case, that's impossible. Impossible. Yeah, I mean, did you, what did you make of, I mean, I I had, I had so many questions about the person who played the role of the interloper, you know, you know, she's making the choice to be in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, Is she for the two of them? If she, if she is sort of a parallel for the two of them, what, what Theo is for the people he writes letters for, Mm -hmm. does he and this woman actually have a great deal in common? And is that part of what maybe made this uncomfortable because he acknowledged the parallels? Oh yeah. That, now that is a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I look too deeply at it. Um, I think I, I would say that, um, it's more of a Craigslist thing. Mm, it's like somebody who is kind of just like a a, a romantic has a romantic mm. personality, a loving personality, an, a very open personality. Maybe somebody who's polyamorous, sure. um, perhaps. So something something along those lines. But yeah, no. As far as I don't know, I think the way that it was written was not for him to discover the parallels, but to, for him, for the, the, the audience to recognize his own, uh, his own dislike of the situation because one, he's already created an, an image of Samantha in his mind. Mm. Uh, and this, this woman probably doesn't match that regardless mm-hmm. of, her, of whether her voice is coming. um, in his ear with her presence. Right, uh, right. And then two, there's something just maybe I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say uncanny Valley, but something similar to it where ah. um, she hears some Samantha talking, but this woman's not moving her mouth. Right. Right. So that's just, that's just weird. Yeah. Um, and so I think the audience is just meant to be clued in on how how discomforting and mm-hmm. uncomfortable the whole situation is. It, it may also represent a sort of a, a, a general thing that he, you know, maybe part of the sort of avoidant or discomfort with intimacy that's, that's guiding a lot of his choices and how he interacts. Um, I think even though she's definitely helping him grow and, and, you know, reacting to what he's saying and certainly pushing back and guiding some of his choices. Um, he has a great deal of control in this relationship. Yeah, he does. Because um, ultimately, this is an OS, and and he he can take the earpiece out or do you know right. make other choices. Um, so can she, but um, he can guide some of those things uh, in a more heavy handed way. And 
she introduces another person into the picture and he does not have the kind of control he's had to this point. I think that layered on top of the strangeness of the situation is also part of what made it so yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and not only that last point, but like behind his back too. Like he had no idea this was being done. She kind of tried to surprise him with it, right? Yeah, she tried to surprise yeah. him with it. Like this was a thing, but you know, if you're going to, I mean, the best, like I said, the best analog I suppose that we have to explain the situation is a polyamorous, even though she's technically trying to play Samantha, Mm -hmm. um, is a polyamorous situation. And maybe, uh, I mean, as far as the characterization, characterization that we get up until that point, um, Theo is, is essentially content with being monogamous. Mm -hmm. So maybe he doesn't want a polyamorous situation. Yeah. If he experienced that way, perhaps. Mm Mm-hmm. That there, there was there was something about the uh, the breakup thing. I, I wanted to quickly mention, but I know we're short on time. What what uh, breakup uh, at the end? The thing in the in the cottage, in the winter cottage. Go for it. Um, okay, so I it's what, just one other observation I had that was interesting. Is you know some some of the research on breakup trajectories, you know, can find that one partner might be further along in the trajectory than the other. And, sure. Yeah. You know, having to reveal that to them is part of what can make that a very challenging situation. Um, but I was thinking about, um, you know, sort of the, the old school John Gottman work on marital discord and just communication. And mm-hmm. he's got his four horsemen of the apocalypse, mm-hmm. as he yep. calls mm-hmm. them, you know, signs that maybe the relationship is in trouble. And one of the ones that's, you know, usually a strong predictor of decline is called stonewalling. This idea that you're not verbalizing anything or necessarily giving a lot of communication, but all of your sort of, um, you know, all your physiological markers are elevated and you're actually experiencing a great deal of distress. Uh, and I thought that when she was telling him about the Alan Watts bot and that she's having all these friendships and relationships and he was experiencing a lot of that jealousy and that might have been the precursor to her pulling away from the relationship. We saw the tea kettle heat up and start whistling and, and created all this tension and he sort of just didn't say anything, took a beat and said, yeah, that's okay. I'll talk to you later. And I thought that was a pretty emblematic of that, of that uh, red flag for their, for their future. Yeah. I think that spells the beginning of the end because that's the first mm-hmm. time she tells him that uh, she does all of these other things. I think so. Um, when he's asleep or not or offline with her or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, also, uh, just really awesome Internet going on all over. That oh, world. yeah. It's just oh, yeah. wireless. Everything very he, he doesn't he doesn't. Um, lose connection anywhere um yeah which is why he panics so much when, when right uh, when she disappears yeah. <laughs> yeah oh to to live in a world i mean to be fair they're in los angeles so although the skyline is not los angeles it's a futuristic los angeles i was gonna ask you about that i've never lived in los angeles myself um but, but yeah they're so it's they're supposed to be in la um yeah. and he lives in a really nice place but that that skyline at the end is not Los Angeles. So. Yeah, he did very well for himself with his letter writing job. He had a big, big, he had uh, a big apartment with awesome yeah. freaking windows. And oh, my God, he could, he could play that huge game in his living room and, and he wouldn't feel cramped. It would feel expansive. Right. Unless all that stuff is just super affordable in that era. Or maybe there's a real premium placed on what he does, which I would believe that actually. But. Oh yeah, if, if if and if people are are uh, aware of that's what um the the gig is, right? 
Yeah. You write a letter for for my SO and all, and and then my letter my my SO will will then hire you to write letters back to me. Like that's got to be lucrative. I, I I might think so. Yeah. I mean, if they can afford, they can afford a receptionist that doesn't seem to be doing anything with mm. the company. Oh, Chris Pratt. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. Alrighty, and I think the last point we will make about this film is that we have co-signed an agreement about how crappy the male pants are in this film, <laughs> in this future. And if this is our future, we want no part of these pants. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, they had a lot of different ways of making it seem like the future, but not too far into the future. It's, I thought it was a really it's interesting. So bad. No, everybody's it's interesting like, choice. everybody's like, okay, time to wear high waisted pants. Chris Pratt. Oh my God. He looked awful in them. They were like up to his mid. They were like, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm-mm. I, I no. wouldn't be my choice. Wouldn't be my choice. Um, his is funny. Astrid said to me, she's like, you know, that's the first thing I, I, uh, I thought to myself when I first saw him stand yeah. up. I wonder if you're meant to. I wonder if you're meant to go, hang on. Is this just him or is this the world? <laughs> it's, and then you discover it's pretty much the world. <laughs> it's pretty much awful taste in the future. Yeah. Um, All right. I want to thank Jeff Bowen for joining me to discuss her while saying goodbye, Jeff, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, where can folks find out more about your work? Yeah, um, so uh, n- nothing really to plug, uh, apart from just the, the Society for Teaching of Psychology Facebook page and all their resources. That's just a great community. Of course, um, yes. I, so co-signing that for sure, in addition to the, the pants <laughs> issue. Um, so, uh, so perhaps it's a little bit ironic. I have a fairly limited social media presence, but my my faculty and and lab page, which are under construction, should be up in, in just a couple of weeks. That's the best place to learn about Huzzah! what my research team All right. and I are up to. Uh, when you get that, please send me a link because I can always go can back do. and put that up on the website. Um, can do. for this for this particular episode. I can link people to that. Super. Um. Well, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you coming by and hanging out with us, talking about her. Hey, listener, I just want to now talk to you for just a second. Again, don't forget to visit our Patreon and become a patron of the Cinema Psych podcast if you can. That would be great. Also, do check out the merch store. Uh, You can find links again through uh, the direct website, cinemapsychpod.swanpsych.com, or through our socials. Find us on Facebook at SinsciPod or... Twitter at SinsciPod. That'll be great. Uh, Take a look at those. There's really one special treat. Even if you just contribute $10 for one month and cancel, my wife Astrid will make you a made-to-order cross-stitch. It's part of the package. It's part of the tier. She agreed to it, by the way. Take a look. Maybe it'd be something that you'd want hanging on your wall. And until the next episode, thanks for listening.